So this evening we're going to be looking at two melodies or two passages in scripture which talk about that very human need of being wanting to be in the in crowd, to be assimilated or blended into a context so that we feel that we belong to something. And so as we go, I invite you to grab a pen or your phone, make notes of things that strike you either in my words those fabulous melodies and solos that we've heard already, or things that fleetingly come across your mind. It's a way of helping you take these things away and to be assimilated into something of the kingdom. I'm aware that jazz vespers may mean that this is the first time or the first time in a long time that you have been in a place or a building like this. And so my hope and prayer and my belief is that some of my words may strike you in a way you've never heard before, whether or not you're a person of Jesus' faith. But let's pray. May the words of my mouth, the melodies of our hearts and of musicians, speak to us, and may your spirit dwell richly in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So being in the in-crowd is big business. Contemporary culture is quick to tell us that if we wear the right clothes, bought from the right shops, if we eat the right organic foods, if we go on the right diet, sign up to the right exercise regime, if we watch the right TV shows and sign up for that online subscription service, if we take the right drugs some of which were prescribed, others we won't talk about. If we choose the right friends and support the right team, go England. If we choose the right life partner, cruise the right right app on our phones for all our dating and intimacy needs. If we click, if we, if we, if we... And and so I do. I I click and I chip and pin and I scroll and I recommend my idle hours away, trying to fit, trying to be part of the in-crowd, to be wanted, to be liked, to be followed, to be normal. A normal which seems so ironically pre-packaged in its call for me to be unique to be exactly who I want to be as long as I look, smell, speak, shop, drink, eat and exercise the same way that everybody else is doing. And so I keep playing the part expected of me. I keep in line. I play the politics. I remain on message. I keep in time. I stay in key. I stick to the playbook and I read the music. And I don't know about you, but on the days when my consumption no longer seems to be working, I finish the day exhausted. And yet, when I pause, the heartbeat of creation still calls me to life. In the end, something has to give. Maybe it's my credit card or the bill that's waiting when I get home. Maybe even it's my psychology as it strains between being the flawed person that I am and that call to be something different, to conform. 
Maybe something slips and my mask falls and my charade is exposed. Maybe my worldview is shifted and I have to change what I think. But something somewhere collapses and the in-crowd is no more. Now, fortunately for us today, this sermon isn't offering a deep cultural critique. That's for another day. But the features that I've just explained and exposed are, in most part, no different to those found thousands of years ago in the dusty meadows and deserts of flowing milk and honey at the start of Israel's political career in the book of Judges. Jephthah is a flawed leader, but in this early flow of political leadership of this Israelite nation, he is marked out as an asset to his people. In this passage, we find that for all his strengths, all his gifts, all of his skills that have been so highlighted previously, he is, in this passage, a locally-minded patriot at heart. Jephthah finds himself in that tricky position, trying to challenge his colleagues on the nature of their special relationship. There seems to be a jealousy between two genetically interconnected and yet distinct groups of people. Who should, after all, come after the aid of the other in the face of a crisis? One side upset that they weren't asked to help. The other side, still wallowing in their victory, didn't need any help in the first place. And so what starts as this childhood spat and squirrel instead escalates. What began as a small argument between two groups of people quickly becomes a personal attack, a named leader against a named leader's party. And eventually, with no shalom to be found, no easy resolution in this special relationship, international relationships collapse, and the scene descends into an interracial civil war. The personal feud of two leaders becomes embodied in the life and practices of their people. Jephthah's Gileadites realise that they can set a simple trap for the people across the ford, a trap of words. And so we find ourselves in the midst of school ground politics. A single word, shibboleth, distinguishing between those people who can say it and those, like the Ephraimites, with the speech impediment, which means they can't. The end result an in-crowd of people speaking shibboleth, using their power and influence to ridicule, persecute, and eventually assassinate thousands of people who fail to conform to being in. Shibboleth, a word meaning flood or torrent, but that's immaterial. It's whether you could say it or not, distinguishes those from who are in and those who are out. If only this was the stuff of biblical story. In more recent history, the Dutch word for parsley was used to distinguish Haitian immigrants to the Dominican Republic, leading in 1935 to what is known as the Parsley Massacre. More recently, the Northern Ireland Troubles were marked out by whether you said Londonderry or Derry. Shibboleth 
is also my favourite episode of the fictional TV show The West Wing, seeing an unfortunately fictional President Bartlett offering asylum to a whole boatload of refugees struggling as they fled persecution from China. Being seen to be in the in-crowd, finding a way to distinguish truth from a close but not quite getting their performance is written deep in our human psyche. And we all risk, like Jephthah, being strong, decisive and capable people, and yet short-sighted, parochial and localised in our actions, singling people out and keeping them away from our silos because they do not live to the shibboleths we set them up to fail. And so tonight we sit here in jazz vespers together. I wonder if we dare to hear the challenge that the rhythm of the kingdom continues if we dare to listen to that greater mystery of God beneath our feet as we tap along, as we notice the air being breathed in solos and in song. Jazz tells us something about the nature of the kingdom of God. Because jazz teaches us that beauty and grace and truth are the ultimate in-crowd is actually to be found in an improvised community of playfulness and conversation. Jazz teaches us that keeping in time is not about living the beat, but about creating the rhythms and bringing life between the beat. Jazz teaches us that the right key keeps us together, but the right key contains arpeggios and chords. Jazz teaches us that it's all right for life to be full of accidentals and grace notes. And jazz, with all of its solos, teaches us that it's okay to disagree and that melodic conversations and arguments can play through the very fingertips and mouthpieces of those invited to play along. Jazz invites us to participate in a way that we're to perform life where there is no in-crowd. It's no wonder that jazz thrives in underground clubs and dark corridors and nighttime prayers. For jazz helps us to see this alternative way of living, seeing, breathing, participating in the very stuff of life. The stuff of the underground, searching for safe places to be the out-crowd or the intrigued. And so tonight, as we dust off our frocks and attend the Oscars celebrations later, it's perhaps no surprise that the contender for one of a number of awards is a stunning piece of jazz theatre. And so La La Land, nominated for 13 Oscars, I think, tells the story of a struggling jazz pianist, Sebastian, and a similarly struggling want-to-be actress, Mia, in Los Angeles. In one crucial scene, the lead character is challenged by the ever-beautiful John Legend about his fascination with jazz heroes. Those guys were revolutionaries. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're so entrenched in the past? Jazz is about the future. 
the reading that I'd anticipated was going to be read to us um, was the passage where Jesus and Pilate are having their final arguments. It's an account where Jesus and Pilate show the power of the revolutionary to change history. And in John's passage, there are two revolutionaries at hand, the in-crowd maker, Barabbas, and the out-crowd truth-teller, Jesus. Pilate, desperate for facts in a world of alternative truth, asks quickly, what is truth? And yet Jesus is obtuse, tells a story and spins the kingdom before power. In a world still asking what is truth, and yet living in the fear of creativity and alternatives, the choice is the same. The choice faced by Jephthah and the Ephraimites, the choice faced by Pilate and Jesus, the choice faced by the fictional Sebastian and Mia. Do we live with a parochial small vision of humanity and limit those people who fail to conform to our ideals? Or do we live for a future that is far more revolutionary? Some would say a kingdom future. Do we live in a story where we wash people's feet and serve both the in and the out crowd? Or do we do what's expected of us and the conventional? In the Gospels, and even so more today, we live with the draw of being in the in crowd setting up our own shibboleth-style traps for people to fall into, and yet also sitting here with a call to be more revolutionary, to live that kingdom alternative future which doesn't see people as inferior, but which celebrates diversity and invites people to conversation and dialogue. In the words of the Reverend Canon Sam Wells down the road at St Martin's in the Fields, we're invited to an improvised life of Christian character. I'd love to join you to be an improvised community of Christian character, to be people of shalom, of peace, of love, joy, faithfulness, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. We're not called to be the in-crowd. We're not called to create barriers and exams and shibboleths for people to fail so that we can shame them in public. We're called to be people of character, people who break down walls, not build them, and challenge prejudice where we see it. We're called to be people who host parties and laugh together, people who speak well of each other, people who don't have the right answers but who speak honestly about their experience of God in their midst. People who know themselves, who know God, and are prepared to be wrong about both. Just like jazz and jazz music, I want to live in a way that brings about beauty and grace and story. People not afraid of improvisation or playfulness. People who see a conversation as more than words, but as melody, deep communion, a darkly lit room and a long cocktail in hand. 
I want to bring life to places where the beat is yet to be discovered. I want to create and notice those grace notes and accidentals to live serendipitously. And the meaning of serendipitous? Gracious accidents. I want to live in a way where disagreements are lived out in our fingerprints and our mouthpieces, but it's used to create and innovate, not as a shibboleth and a silo which destroys. And I want to live into God's future by the Spirit calling us into a new being, a world of holy revolutionaries, a world of minor chords, improvised communities who pull together a world of prayer warriors and kingdom seekers who live God's timing. Do you hear it? People who keep the doors open. An invitation to play your part too.